just a perfect day. Drink sangria in the park, and then later, when it gets dark, we go home. Just a perfect day. Feed animals in the zoo. Then later, a movie too, and then home. Oh, it's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. Oh, such a perfect day. You just keep me hanging on. You just keep. Ladies and gentlemen, back with Hanson, Dick Manitoba. You don't know Dick is my podcast. Mr. Lenny K is our special guest here, and you don't know Dick, the Handsome Dick Manitoba podcast. We got Bullpen Betty, college yeah, Betty. college graduate <laughs> and baseball expert who knows almost as much about baseball as Handsome Dick Manitoba. Okay, here, here comes some big ones. Here comes some big ones. We get a half hour each. Okay, we finished with Ginsburg. We're done with the Jews for now. <laughs> and now we go to... I'm allowed to have my own opinion on everything you've done, right? Of course. Okay. This might be my favorite thing you've done. Really? And it might be, the, the least to favorite. me, the most important thing you've oh. done in terms of rock and roll history. Okay. Nuggets. Ah, it's a nugget if you dug it. In the... What was it? Set early 70s? 72. There's a box set called Nuggets, and it basically is the, it's the Bible. It's the Bible of garage rock, and and I guess early, what we would call punk rock. It's a million one-hit, one-hit wonders. It's one of the great compilations of music representing a genre ever put together. It's one of the most important ones to my life personally, and uh, I don't care how many other nuggets come out. This is, I always called it the granddaddy of the nuggets. Now, one time I talked to you, you, you raised up a little, like 2%, because I said, oh, so you and Jack Holtzman from Electra Records, who ran Electra Records, did that. And you said, no. <laughs> Jack, had, Jack had the name, you know, and he gave me the keys to the kingdom. He wanted to do a record, and I think it was because he was a technologue, and he wanted, he'd just gotten one of the first cassette machines. He wanted to clean out his record collection of those albums that had one good cut on it. And so he says to me, he's hired me as a talent scout for Electra uh, for about six months. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, he gave me this, this, you know, this thing, you know, here you know do a record of those cuts that are the one great cut on a record so i took it and i was i have to say a little bit full of myself in those days you know rock and roll you know i smash it so i just put together a list of like 50 or 60 songs many of which were only a few years old 
You know, I mean, I had no, like, even historical perspective on it. They were mostly my favorite songs from the 60s. Mid-60s. Yeah. I mean, of bands that were like my band at the time, The Zoo, you know, playing local joints and, you know, really kind of post-English invasion bands, but also bands that hadn't gone progressive yet. It was that, that weird little window of time where... Things were changing from being like hit singles to being this new FM, anything's possible music. And to me, those are the moments when the most interesting things happen because people don't know what they're doing. They're just taking all this new sounds and, and attitudes and putting them together in weird ways. There's no precedence or whatever? There's no pre they, they don't even know what they're doing mm -hmm. half the time. Garage rock? I mean, it's, it's exciting. Like it's like let's let's do a band. Let's but be it a wasn't band. even. I mean, because it was so close. I we didn't even have that term. I mean, we called it punk rock because that was kind of a rock critic term at the time. But it was just mostly bands who were kind of. There was a certain naivety and yearning to them. Can I stop you for a second? Sure. You said you called it punk rock back then. Yeah, I mean, the, the actual word punk rock is in the liner notes, but it had nothing to do with. The style of that would that was going to mm -hmm. be punk rock. I mean, what do you mean? I don't get it. You it was said just a, punk it was rock. a phrase, you know, that rock critics at the time, of which I was one, you know, Greg Shaw and and Lester Bangs and you know whoever was Dave Marsh. It was the attitude was kind of punky. That's the only way you could. Ex but punky was bitches in jail. No, punky was kind of like. You can't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing, even though I don't really know what I'm doing. So you predated punk and punk magazine by years. Oh, yeah, years. Before the fashion, basically. Well, before it got hardened into a style. Right. And that's, to me, you know, when Not punk rock punk. became punk rock, <laughs> it, was, it was great, but you knew what to expect. Well, you me, know, Giorgio Gamelsky used to say to me, I'm sorry. Oh, please. Giorgio, Giorgio Gamelsky used to say, that is, you know, in his Russian yeah. roughness, there is no, there was no punk rock. There was no garage rock back then. As terms now, and they, they stick it to that the music. That music was not called that then. I said, Giorgio, I mean, there's no, it's not a big deal. It's not a big difference. It was what it was. It could be called nothing. It gets a name. And when it gets it a, get name, a name, it like gets a definition. But I always remember on the back of the album by uh, Mayo and the Red Crayola on International American <laughs> Records, which was just kind of noise, they had a little phrase there. It said, definitions define limit. And hmm. that's something I've always remembered. And with Patty, we've never been into def def definitions because we want the ability to do like a 15 minute improvised who the hell knows what's going to happen Grateful Dead song yeah <laughs> I love the Grateful Dead or, 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 or a three minute you know hit single or do that you know you don't want to be limited because all of a sudden as soon as you're limited that's all you can be the Ramones Lord love them mm. that's all they could ever be for 20 years and you know it's great if you have a great thing but also, you know... Yeah, but the, the problem with the Ramones was one thing. That Joey was a great songsmith. Joey had a great sensibility for what to do. Mm -hmm. And a, a certain minority amount of their songs, but an important minority amount of their songs, were slower and more mid-tempo. And once they found out that when they go out live, 
they put, put everything through the fast machine, and that's then they get off stage, right. make their money. Fast machine, get off stage, make their money. There's all these beautiful um, songs yeah. that Joey wrote. Question so they, they really could have been broader than that, but they weren't fucking with the money. Mm-hmm. No, and you know, they don't want to fuck with the template, and they don't want to challenge an audience to go with them someplace else. Right. And one thing I love about what we do with Patty is that we really can do anything and <clears throat> and that's like that's like a great blessing. That's why you can have 40 years and not be confined to a greatest hits of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And if you actually go into my original nuggets, some of it is not garage rock at all. You know, you got Sagittarius, which is kind of some weird symphonic rock. <laughs> and then you got, you know, the Blues Project, who are like certainly not callow youth from Des Moines, Iowa, trying their instruments. They're professional hip, mu- you know, New musicians. West Village, right? Yeah, totally. So mine, because I hadn't even Patty's, figured Patty it out. is such an icon now. And she probably always has been to some degree because there's not that many women and that people follow her. People but will follow we're her. We're beyond gender. Huh? We call Ooh. ourselves beyond gender. Patty doesn't think of herself as a woman artist. She thinks of herself as a broad a chick. <laughs> She's a babe, I gotta say. But I mean, I, I don't know. Artist. If you listen to Nuggets, it's like oh, garage rock. She's a woman artist. She's a man artist. Yeah, but people don't say it's a man artist, right? So what do you call Joan Jett? A man artist? <laughs> Actually, what do you call Joan Jett? <laughs> I'm not getting into this. All right, forget it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I, 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 I can, like everything. Patty can call herself anything she wants. Well, okay. Exactly. Because, because she set out her parameters. It's like if you call yourself garage rock, you're going to have a fuzz tone guitar, uh, uh, you know, uh, Vox Continental organ. You're going to have a ye- lead singer that yowls, and there's going to be a little psychedelia around the edge. You know, when I did Nuggets, I mean. It came out in 1972. Probably the list was there in 1971. And the most early, you know, the the song that was the latest on it was from 68. So Mm -hmm. there's no historical perspective. I was mostly putting together songs from when I worked at Village Oldies that, you know, I'd be drinking beer on a Saturday night, nobody in there, and I'm just, pull, oh yeah, the seeds, I love that, you know, and then, oh yeah, here's the Blues Magoos, and here's my favorite track on the Blues Magoos, it's not their hit. You know, I put Tobacco Road on there instead of uh, We Ain't Got Nothing Yet. I didn't put Gloria, the national anthem of of Garage Rock on there. I put some weird six-minute jam from The Shadows of Night on it. Weren't they uh, from the Bronx, the Blues Magoos? They're from uh, Long Long Island. They're from the Bronx? I I think they're from Long Island. Well, Uh. it's Bronx, Long Island, you know, it's all East Coast. But, I mean, you know, the fact that that album caught something i mean i don't even claim it i didn't write any of those songs i was just a you know a music geek fan who put it together and had the chance and actually got the pick of the litter because i was there first for reasons that you know who the hell knows what song what song did you put on by uh uh instead of gloria i put oh yeah oh yeah everything gonna be all right this morning down down was that, down, that was a Bo Diddley song was it huh? it wasn't Bo Diddley song was it could have been I mean you know it was just you know it was their jam it was like uh, the yeah. Rolling Stones going home yeah. or something. you know it was their jam. it was my favorite cut on the record the Blues Magoos yeah. are from the Bronx I just checked didn't you put right. a, didn't, you, didn't you put what's his name the asshole right wing guy oh Amboy Dukes but you didn't put their big hit on 
No, I didn't put Journey to the Center of Mind. I that put was Baby, Please Don't Go. Baby, Please Don't Go. I was, you know, well, first of all, my brief was to find those songs that weren't hits, that were on the record, the right. weird song. Right. I mean, you know, if I, if I was more aware of the concept, if I was like more, I would have screwed that album up. It would have been just too predictable. But because... You know, I was there. It was my combination of those records they used to sell late at night on TV. You know, those Mr. Maestro or, you know, where the guys are. K-Tel. Yeah, the, the motorcycle jackets on the thing. Plus <laughs> Yazoo Blues records like Blues of Southeastern Georgia, 1927 to 33. Hmm. You know, that was my kind of models. And it came together. And I have to say, it's still buying me beers all over the world. In <laughs> fact, I remember a night in Manitobas where there were some Nuggets fans there and they were buying me drinks. And I staggered down to 2A to see Tom about four o'clock in the morning and I like passed out on the back bank and he, he comes over, he says, are you okay? And I said, I'm so wasted. <laughs> and my favorite part of the story is that people were paying for drinks. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, you know, I mean, I really will go to like, you know, some who, you know, somewhere in Europe and someone will come up to me and say, because you know what it is about nuggets? It's not about the, it's not about garage rock. It's about the yearning to become who you want to be. I mean, I believe that you could make one for hip hop. You could make one for girl groups, reggae. It's about people inventing themselves and that yearning and that desire. That's what people, all the groups that listened to Nuggets in the 70s and became whatever punk rock band they became, that's what they caught. It wasn't that they wanted to be, you know, the seeds or whatever. They saw an entrance and they became, it gave them a, as it did for me, it's my autobiography. It We're gave a them a growing, road to travel. Yeah. I'm a kid growing up in New Jersey. You know, I don't, I'm not sportsy. I'm not really that, you know, good at, you know, school. But I, in the guitar, I was able to find who I might want to be. And luckily, as the stars aligned, I became that, which is <laughs> <You> crazy. Know, <laughs> talking to you. And I'm here with you. With all the years we know each other and, and, and all the times we've talked, you know, obviously this is the longest sit-down period, you know. It's not like I invited you over to my house to show you a piece of shit cat that I hate. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I got to say that, that everything you've talked about, Ginsburg and, and just your whole attitude about Patty and everything, it's like you are nuggets. Yeah, you, your beliefs. Well, I'm digging. The, I'm digging. It's my. No, but your me. your belief system, your way of looking at life, Amen. your philosophy, you. your spirituality. You are nuggets. That that album is is the epitome of who you are. Well, I I appreciate it, and you know it's a debt that I'm paying to rock and roll. I mean, you know the fact well, that know, I was man, able to. You're leaving something important. You're leaving. A lot of stuff, but this is like, to me, this is monumental. Well, you know, I, I think of it as the original sin, the little spark of why we pick up a guitar in the first place. And, you know, I mean... And everybody could get that song that wasn't the big song, but that these guys just went out there and said, we're, we're just going to do this thing. And other people saw it and said, hey, we want to do this thing too, you know? It's an album full of possibility. That's really what I think it's like. Okay, yeah, all of a sudden, the curtains have opened, 
the sense that rock and roll, which in 1963, 1964, was kind of a formula. It's like, okay, this is how you do it. All of a sudden, new sounds, psychedelics, you know, uh, a new sense of possibility, the great promise of the night. I mean, I feel so lucky to have grown up in the 1960s where you could actually believe that love could save the world. <laughs> I mean, the concept, you know, I mean, yeah, it went up against reality pretty quick. <laughs> but the fact is that sense of hope and, I mean, Patty, the sea of possibility, you know, that you can invent who you'd like to be. And if the stars align, and you, you know, I mean, I don't know what would happen to me if I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, but, you know, I was here at a moment in time. I met the right people. I, I found an artist who was able, who I was able to help frame and in turn helped understand who I could be. These, these are beautiful things. And I, you know, I, I uh, praise whatever uh, spiritual divinities are out there for uh, giving me a Your relationship a fun with time. Patty is, is amazing. It really sounds amazing. Well, I believe in her. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and she knows that I will go to the wall for her, you know, whatever, whatever that might be, you know. And she kicks my ass. If I'm not, believe me, you know, when I'm on that stage and I'm not like right there, I'll I'll get my ass kicked. And you should. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> it makes you better. It, it does. Hey, <laughs> listen, I used to play with with a couple of guys from the MC5 and and Wayne Kramer. I think he loved making me nervous because he would always say, "You're going to sing this song." I go, but, 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 but Wayne, I I I can't hit those high notes. I yeah, you're going to sing this song. Or you're going to you're going to wear um, in ear monitors. But Wayne, I I, I, don't, I don't I'm afraid I'll get like lost on stage because I've never used them. You're going to wear in ear monitors. It's like it's just like push me. Push oh, yeah. me, make me do it. And you know what? It always worked. Yeah. It always worked because you got me out of my comfort zone, right. which means I'm going to grow. That's right. After that, what the hell is this about? You call it madness, the sensual <laughs> song of the croon, an impressionistic study of romantic singers of the 1930s, published by Random House Villard, <clears throat> Villard Publishing, 2004. Uh, what what got you into? Where Were you always into crooners? The night, not at all. Or did you hit something that said, "I love crooners. I'm going to investigate this." I I was driving along late at night, driving along in my automobile. Yeah, you know, and I'm crazy, but and I'm over by the really left side of the dial. I don't even know. I was out in far New Jersey somewhere, and I hear this. I like the sound of old 78s, you know, the crackling and yeah, stuff. And I hear yeah. this voice, you know. And the DJ comes on and he says, that was Russ Colombo. And proceeds to say like five sentences about who Russ Colombo was, i.e. Uh, Battle of the Baritones with Bing Crosby. Um, uh, was killed in a dueling pistol accident at the age of uh, 26. Um, why his best friend um, his mother was very ill so for the next 10 years they didn't uh, tell her and they would send her letters from the other side of the world saying dear mom I'm, I'm on tour in Italy I oh uh, hope you're God. doing well pretending then, he was alive and then he was supposed yeah and then supposedly uh, Carol Lombard who later married Clark Gable referred to him as the love of her life and was about to marry him and when he was killed. 
And I thought, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and I have to say, if the internet, this was probably the turn of the 90s, if the internet was invented then, I would have probably gone on Wikipedia or YouTube, found out his story and said, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, never thought anything of it. But I thought the drama in it, that's really incredible. And what is that moment in time, the late 20s and early 30s, when the microphone is just invented and so you can sing intimately and you can be a crooner, which to me is a, a singer that sings to a woman in her language. There's something cross-gender about it. And I went to the library and I took out the issues from September 1934 of the Daily Mirror and read about his, his accident, which was a dueling pistol, where his friend, who might have had conflicted feelings about him, uh, mm. a photographer named Lansing Brown, struck a match for a cigarette on the firing pin of this antique dueling pistol from the Civil War. A long forgotten bullet in there goes off, strikes the desk, bounces off, hits Russ in the eye, and he's dead. And I thought, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, you, you can't. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll write a novel. Wow. And then I thought, well, I'll write a, a, a prose poetry thing like Michael Ondaatje did with uh, Billy the Kid and Buddy Bold and uh, his great works, uh, collected works of Billy the Kid and uh, Coming Through Slaughter, which are beautiful prose poems that capture an artist. And then the musical investigator came over me and I spent eight years learning about the late 20s and the early 30s, what Bing Crosby did to singing because there would be no Elvis Presley without Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby changed singing. Really? Totally. Hmm. He, in, he put black inflections in singing in 1926. I mean, and then finding out how crazy Rudy Valley was I mean, I had the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost right there. And I, you know, I wrote this kind of impressionistic Who? book. Valley, Crosby? Rudy Valley, Bing Crosby, and, and Russ Colombo, my hero. And because Russ died so early, I was able to document every one of his recording sessions, trace his life in the kind of detail which to me seems completely obsessive, <laughs> <laughs> and then found a publisher to publish this book, which I wrote kind of impressionistically so that I was sure, sure to piss off anybody who liked Bing Crosby, you know, the old school, and anybody who knows me says, it's not about garage rock. <laughs> but it's my great work, I have to say, and I even like got a fat guitar and a tuxedo and kind of did the crooner thing for a little bit, which was kind of fun. Wow. But you know, I mean, Russ Colombo wrote Prisoner of Love, which James Brown later covered. and uh, M My father talks about seeing Frank Sinatra in the 40s when he was a crooner, one of the first. See, my feeling is that Frank Sinatra isn't a crooner because he's too male. What was what you were going back to what you said before. Yeah. I think there's really? like, Dean, for me, Dean Martin is the crooner. Okay. Frank is really? he's too macho. That's why Nick probably wrote the book on Dean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Dean, you know. How about, how about like, Women like uh, Ella Fitzgerald. I used to like to listen I to her. I would call her a torch singer myself. Torch singer? <laughs> How about Dinah Washington? Oh, Dinah Washington is glorious. 
What a difference a day makes. 24 little hours. Great drink, late night drinking music. I mean, there's so many. I mean, what it really took me into was pre-rock. I didn't know too much about pre-rock and roll. You know, my, my education in music was pretty much, you know, starting as uh, rock and roll was formed. And to go into the music of the late 20s and early 30s, which was really almost the first popular music, uh, it was when modern music, in a sense, began. You know, you had the microphone, you had somewhat modern techniques, you had uh, radio stations that could network. And what happened before that? You know, it was just like a bunch Talking? of people going, "Hello, here you go, I'm reaching the back balcony." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was... You Hello, know. my honey. Hello, my the artist, <laughs> the, the artistry. The artistry developed. Yeah, I, just, I just like the fact that these guys could go... <laughs> you know, it was beyond words, too. Crooning, they, they don't... It's not words. It's like... I keep thinking of, like... So crooning... Uh, uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons where they, like, would have, I don't know, crooners. Oh, so yeah. crooners were, 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 were more singing to women or more feminine in their singing? I think they were more singing to women. It, it, to me, it's like, as I, as I would say, singing to a woman in her lingual. You know, the, the language that you would use to seduce, you know, and, and <laughs> importune, I would imagine. Especially when you're in your cummerbund. <laughs> I mean, it was a very stylish thing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it was really fun to discover it because... I, you know, you can't go on YouTube and see Russ Colombo singing. I had to find Broadway through a keyhole, his movie from 1931 to actually see him move. You know, I mean, I was so obsessed. It was like, and you know, you've, you meet these crazy people who collect this stuff and, you know, are into the late 20s and early 30s. And it was, it was a great voyage. And to me, that's one of the wonderful things about writing a book is that you learn as you, I really didn't know nothing, and now I'm, I'm that's an great. expert, and I've kind of forgotten everything that's in the book. But I look at it and I think, man, you are nuts. <laughs> There's so much detail in it. Yeah. It's it's history. Yeah, and it's history, and it's like, you know, I help feel like I help bring Russ Colombo into the 21st century. I mean, actually, on the first day of the new millennium, I sang where the blue, Bing Crosby's theme song, where the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, at the St. Mark's Poetry Project because, you know, Bing doesn't get any respect now. You know, well, I think I think there people are people think of him as a grandfather and some guy who beat his kids, but they don't realize that in 1928, those big blue eyes, man, he was a heartthrob. And in November of 1931, the Battle of the Baritones, Bing at the Times Square Paramount, Russ Colombo at the Brooklyn Paramount. That was a magical I moment. I know what in you time. mean by the, the here he said Bing singing the merry melodies in the Looney Tunes. Well, right, right. Funny, <laughs> right. They have like the guy. So we got um, something that's near and dear to my heart. Let's get it Your back uncle. Now. My uncle. Genius, Larry Cusick. Yes. Wrote A Time for Us from Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And even more importantly to me, Speak the greatest movie ever. Love. Speak softly, love. and from The Godfather. <laughs> Your fucking uncle wrote wow. Speak Wine Softly, Love. Warm-colored days, warm-colored nights, kissed by the sun. Yeah, he lyricized uh, Nino Rota's uh, 
melody. And Nina Rota, of course, is most famous for doing all the... Eight and a half. And, uh, you know, what's his name? The director. Uh, Fellini movies. Fellini movies. And Carmine Coppola had a lot yeah. to do with it. Um, yeah, my uncle. Your uncle took note of your lengthening hair and musical commitment <laughs> and asked him to sing on a song he recently penned with Richie Adams, Once of the Fireflies, You Were Mine. Kay soon found himself in Associated Recording Studios on Times Square recording Crazy Like a Fox, along with the flip side, Shock Me. The result of 45 issued under the name of Link Cromwell was leased to Hollywood Records, blah, 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 blah. So we're talking about all that. Let me see how much we want to get through here. Okay. Uh, your group at the time was a zoo working the college circuit. And okay, so what about your genius, brilliant uncle and him seeing something in you that he decided to record with you? It was just it was just nice, you know. He he saw me in band. Your father's brother? Yeah, yeah, my father's Did you always brother. have a good relationship with him? He was always the cool one. You know, he'd bring me comic books as a kid, and, you know, he, he was married for a while to a rockette, and uh, he was kind of the hip one. And he got into songwriting in the early 60s, and... I mean, he wrote a lot. He was kind of uh, with uh, famous music, which was associated with Paramount, where he just write with people. You know, he has a he wrote uh, the Bell that couldn't jingle, a Christmas song with Burt Bacharach. Um, you know, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, I have a stack of forty fives, most of which, you know, none of them went anywhere really. But uh, you know, he was quite a prolific songwriter, and you know, he, I mean, my record didn't do anything. I had a record, <laughs> which was exciting. <laughs> On uh, you know and uh, but it made me think of myself as a musician you know all of a sudden I, I had a record uh, you know it got newcomer pick of the week in Cashbox in March of '66 um, but it you know never went anywhere. Well, he but his his. But I just got a forty dollar check from new, the Numero Group who put it on their Orc record me out box. To dinner tonight. Thought, yeah, <laughs> come on, Q, you can. I'll take dinner. But he was great, and you know. So he believed in you, so that helped. Oh yeah, totally. And you know, it, and he uh, he lived until a few years ago. Actually, he was in his mid nineties, wow. and uh, I would go up toward you know toward the end of his life, and he was you know was a little fragile. And I'd take him out to lunch, and uh, one time I said, "You got any song lyrics around?" And you know, so the next day he gives me a bunch of these song lyrics, and uh, he was in the hospital for a while at the end, and uh, I was feeling feeling him so I looked through the lyrics and there was this lyric called yes I will it was really it was so beautiful you know if there's anything I can do for you if there's anything I can be for you yes I will yes I will yes I will and so I just let the chords fall to my hands and I, I kind of wrote the song and when I got to the end of it you know the yes I will yes I will yes I will yes I will I just I burst out crying in a way that I haven't cried for 20 years. And I just felt like, man, I feel him. And his, his wife didn't want me to see him when he was ill. But finally I said, listen, I know he's, you know, I have to go see him. So I went up to the hospital up on the east side and I went in his room and, you know, he was, he was oxygen and everything. And I, I sang him the song and, uh, you know, he looked at me and smiled and said, thank you for coming, and that night he died. Wow. And uh, I felt like I paid him his respect for giving me respect at a time. I mean, I was, you know, I didn't know, I was never in a recording studio before. 
the fact that this crazy like a fox has been through four different <laughs> releases, singles pressings, and I got to sing it at the Ponderosa Stomp along with all the other, <laughs> you know, crazy cult artists. It's it's really amazing. But it, it, that song is me, you know. Uh, crazily, you know, they call me neurotic and say I'm psychotic because I let my hair grow long. They say that I'm crazy and they call me lazy because I don't like to work all day long. But I'm <laughs> crazy like a fox because while they're working on the inside, I'm having fun on the outside. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a direct line between out that outside and outside of society in rock and roll nigger. It's where I like to be. You know, I, I like... I'm on the fringe, you know, looking in, and that's a good place to make one's music and one's art. And you were lucky enough to get to see him at the very end. So, that, so that's like a blessing. It was a blessing, and I was very happy. And you know, it's, he really was encouraging to me in a way that, you know, who'd have thunk? But the legs I talked about, right? Yeah, have you your legs or one of the people? Yeah, he just, you know, all of a sudden had a record. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> in like, your hand. <laughs> it's a forty-five Hollywood Records, eleven oh seven. You came back to the city, started working for Jazz and Pop Magazine, which was edited by Morrison's Jim Morrison, soon to be wife <laughs> yeah. Patricia Morrison. Um, and you branched out. Um, I, I don't remember Jazz and Pop well, but I remember early Fusion, early Crawdaddy, and early Rolling Stone when they were fold over little magazines. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, what was it like writing for the? I mean, this was really in in a, in society the beginning of rock and roll writing. Oh yeah, as an actual art form, right? Yeah. Crawdaddy and Rolling Stone and Fusion. I, I was kind of the post Crawdaddy. I mean, when I saw my first copy of Crawdaddy and saw what Sandy Perlman and John Landau and Richard Meltzer and Paul Williams are writing, I thought, yeah. This is the way you write about rock and roll in the same spirit of the music. Perlman wrote early Crawdaddy? Yeah, I think uh, I bought the first issue, number seven, on St. Mark's, like in 66 or something. Oh. And uh, it was just so, it was so eye-opening that you could write about rock and roll seriously. And so when I got a chance to do it for jazz and pop, you know, I, I, I started reviewing records and then... Uh, my big break was when I reviewed the first Stooges record for Fusion, and Danny Fields called me up, and he said, who are you? <laughs> and I thought, hmm, I've been wondering that myself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he invited me to my first press party, and then all of a sudden I got to meet all these people I'd been reading, you know, the Robin, Richard and Lisa Robinson, all, all, all the people, and I, and I was caught up in this world of music journalism, which was very exciting. You know, it was very insular, and, uh, you know. What about Rolling Stone? What's his name? Uh, he started, he's, he was, John. John. Do you have a relationship with him? Uh, you know, I got there because, you know, I mean, there were many places to write for, so, you know, you'd wind up writing for them. But, I mean, they were San Francisco-oriented. Really. They the, were? The, the Robins, they were in San Francisco. The Robinsons were, were my mentors, you know. Richard, I, I was buddies. Richard had like six magazines at the time, you know, Hit Parader and yeah. Go Magazine. And, you know, he really taught me to just, you know, 
Well, I interviewed Gruen a few weeks ago. He had a lot to do with Hit Parade. Oh, yeah. I was friends with Lisa. I used to sit at her table at the Limelight every Sunday night, and all the rock stars would come in, and like the guy from Guns N' Roses Genuflect, yeah. would sit at our table, and all these all these girls would be standing around going like this. <laughs> they were like afraid to like like really look. Were you uh, friends with Lester? Lester Banks? I was friends, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. He, he was a great guy. He was great, you know. Uh, really funny guy. I, I thought that Nick Tosh's was, uh, in, in my hierarchical ranking, I, I always thought Nick was like just a touch more genius than, than Lester. Well, Nick's a friend. But, but Lester made up <clears throat> for it in quantity. <laughs> R- R- Richard, Richard was the sixth dictator. Nick, I've been friends with since I'm 17 years old. Um, Nick used to play these, un- I can't talk about it on the air, these unbelievable like southern um, records he had. I have, I bought a couple of from some of the KKK records. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know. And uh, as anybody out there doesn't know, I'm talking about Richard Meltzer, great writer, great human being, the sixth dictator. Nick Tashi's famous, amazing writer. Um, it was a great time for writing because and let- you could have a lot of... Writing to me now, especially <clears throat> about music, has become a lot more functional. It's practical, right? It's all. It's everything's. But become you know, that. you read Sandy Perlman, and you re, you know, you're, you're seeing somebody who is like as, as I hate to use the word cosmic, but that's the one that's coming to mind. As the artists, they were writing about. Mm-hmm. You know, when he would write about the birds. He was the birds, mm-hmm. and that to me was the mark of, of what you have to do. You can't just like distance yourself from the writing. You have to be the writing. You have to have rhythm and melody and, and a cosmology in your writing that makes it equal to what you're writing about. I mean, that's what that taught me. You know, a lot of writing is journalism, and I'm all for that, too. You know, I did my share of, you know, interviewing whoever came over here and, you know, ask them the usual questions. I look at some of my early interviews like Muddy Waters and, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, you could have asked a better question. And so how did you start playing guitar? <laughs> but, you know, you know, you learn as, as you go along. But all, but, all, all the art forums have... have uh, uh, disintegrated in the sense that in the old days, you, you know, a guy like Jim Marshall could go, not the hound, yeah. could go over as a, what do you do for a living, man? I'm a photographer. Cool. Click, 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 click. Amazing Dylan album cover. Amazing Hendrix album cover. Now it's like, you guys got three songs in the pit and then you got to get out. So the same way that disintegrated um, photographically, it's it, the, same the, thing the writing. Nuggets. It's like, all of a sudden there comes a time when all everything is open and you got a lot of chance to experiment and do something and go up wrong alleys or you know just see how far you can take something and then once people understand it then it's like the straight straight away and that's cool too you know you get some great songs you get some great articles but you kind of know where you're going. Yeah. And rock writing in 1969, 70, 71, Cream Magazine, it was no holds barred. Cream, Cream was the best. No Cream holds barred. Cream had, had the ultimate sense of humor. It made fun of everything. Yeah. And that was what was but so great. took it seriously. It was like, it was like, they made fun of it, but they also knew that this was, you know, yeah. that, they, that they wanted that, like, 
electrical charge. Changing society, right? Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough uh, balancing act to, to make fun of it and uh, to laugh about it and, and yet appreciate its seriousness. Do, do you have any guilt, guilty pleasures? You're so, you know academic about everything is there any just like kind of i am all about garbage pop music that you love are you kidding me i went to see katie perry (laughs) roar is one of the greatest (laughs) songs ever dark horse sorry i am on the program i like a great song you know i mean i have no prejudices you know i take things as they i don't want things to be I always hated when people like reviewed records or criticized people as what they thought it should be. I like Instead to what take it, it what it is. And I like a great pop record. And if I find a great pop record, I will buy it. I will put it on whatever medium I have. And I'll roll down the car window when it comes on and, you know, put my hand <laughs> out there. I have, I I am all about, I love guilty pleasures. The guiltier, the better. <laughs> I, I saw him eating a hamburger with Jake recently. That's not a guilty. That's life. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Village Oldies on Bleecker Street. Right. It used to be what was his name that passed away? Bleecker Bob. Bleecker Bob was the owner. This was a one of a kind place in the world. An unbelievable, one of a kind New York City place that sold records with this 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 chunky. Jewish guy who was the nastiest guy you ever met. But if you knew his shtick, he was okay. Heart I, of gold. I knew his shtick. I'd walk in, he goes like, what, what the fuck you want? What you, you know, he'd be old and me. i just laugh at him. And, you know, he loved me. And that was his shtick. And I, like I say, if you don't know shtick, then get the fuck out of New York. Then you don't know shtick. And you, <laughs> you, worked, you worked at this, if you worked at Village Oldies on Bleecker Street where you met Patti Smith. Right. She just walked in and you started talking? She had called me up. Um, I had done an article for Jazz and Pop on this called uh, B- The Best of Acapella, which was doo-wop music sung without music uh, instrumental backing. That was a very small sliver uh, of kind of at the end of the doo-wop era where these, I don't know, was sold mostly through oldies stores, you know, which, of course, gives you a sense of how retro the high old idea wasn't even 1964 anyway she called me up we were kind of connected by three people who knew who knew who knew and uh she said i really like your article it it reminds me of the music i listened to when i was growing up in south jersey in philly and then she came into the store and i put on some of our favorite records uh, my hero by the blue notes or the bristol stomp or and we'd kind of Len Barry, Philadelphia. Yeah. Kids in a Bristol Law Shop as a pistol. pistol when they do the Bristol Stomp. What was the other big hit? Uh, the, the, one, two, three. No, that, that was his hit, his solo hit. hit. No, the, this, you can't sit down. I heard it, baby. Can't Springsteen covers that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, Cameo Parkway. Yeah, I mean, we just you know she came in and. We, we we got along, and then she was going to do her first poetry reading, and she didn't want to do a boring poetry reading because Gregory Corso would uh, bust her chops. So she thought, well, maybe I'll have an electric guitar behind it, and she knew that I played So she was friends with all the beatniks? Well, they, she knew them all from uh, hanging out to Chelsea. Really? Yeah. I, 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 I know Burroughs. she was friends with, 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 with Sandy and everything. No, she was friends with William Burroughs. And, and Perlman. Yeah, and she knew. Well, Sandy, at the end of our first reading, said to her, you know, you should lead a rock band. And actually, I think 
he, he had some idea that maybe she could uh, lead Blue Arster Cult, <laughs> which would have been an alternate universe, no. <laughs> an alternate reality. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I love working in a record store and, uh, you know, I got paid $10 a day and all the records I could filch. <laughs> and in those days, ten dollars. <laughs> you worked on Piss Factory, Eat Radio, Ethiopia, Easter, a whole bunch of first, a whole slew of first albums. Her first album. Her whole bunch of albums yeah. that she started with. Okay, she stopped in '79. Right. And then you joined the Jim Carroll Band, fronted your own band, the Lenny K Band. Co-produced Susan Vega's first two albums, including the hit single Luca, which yeah. was nominated for a Grammy of the Year award. Yeah. He has been Lenny has been nominated three times for Grammy awards in the liner notes category for box sets on the '60s folk revival, Bleaker and McDougal. Um, blah 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 blah. You're friends with David Dalton. In 1995, you reunite, reunited with Patty and have been part of a band since, creating five studio albums, a retrospective, and celebrating her 30th anniversary release of their landmark debut album, Horses. I better update that. It's the 40th at this point. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it came out in 75, so it's like the 43rd, <clears throat> let's be honest. In 2010, Lenny contributed to a solo recording of Daddy Rockin' Strong, a tribute to Nolan Strong and the Diablos. Yeah. I never heard of them. Never heard of <coughs> Nolan Strong and the Diablos? Pardon me. <clears throat> the wind? Wind, wind, blow, wind. One of the greatest no. vocal groups ever to come out of Detroit. <clears throat> but I never heard Smokey of those guys. Smokey Robinson <clears throat> stole Sorry. everything from Nolan Strong. <laughs> If you listen to Nolan Strong's voice, you will see where Smokey Robinson came it's from. Steel, you know. Well, it's the, the, the black okay. guys, the black guys with the acoustic guitars in the Mississippi Delta, <laughs> that would walk from bar to bar and steal from everybody. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. So it's all one big soup. <laughs> now mm, you're talking. Nice stew. Mm, I like this. Mm. <laughs> A little you more salt in there. Did a thing on a Flesh Tones record as we're winding up here. In mid-February 2018, Lenny K took over the night shift on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius Satellite Radio. And found doing it five nights a week was like working for the Ford Assembly plant. <laughs> and couldn't do it like some other people here. And <laughs> you know what? Anybody got any questions for Lenny that I could have possibly missed even though I didn't? Have you ever thought okay, of... Okay, the show's over. Have <laughs> <laughs> I ever thought of what? Uh, being a, a professor. I, I taught uh, for a half a semester at Rutgers in the 80s, uh, rock music in American culture, because, you know, you never know how long your musical career is going to go, and I thought, well, you know, I could be an academic. And <laughs> I, I had such high hopes. Oh, yeah, the kids will really get into this, you know, rock music, you know, they'll really, I'll show them that rock music is the great literature of today. And I looked out at them, and the course, you know, got oversold within two hours, mm. you know, 200 people, I'm up there trying to figure, and I saw all these kids doing the same thing that I was doing in college, you know, like, starting to fall asleep, <laughs> and then, you know, there would be a break in the middle of the class, and half of them wouldn't come back, and I just thought, I don't know, you know, I... 
the reality, ac- right? The reality, you know. I mean, I always wanted an academic career. That's kind of why I went to. Uh, well, I was come and stay in your American culture class. You know, but it's a lot of it's a lot of bureaucracy. You got to, you know, I, I hated to to grade the papers. Oh. I felt so bad about that. It's like you know. Who are you to? Yeah, you know. I mean, you know, and I don't know. It was. It was interesting, and I, I might do it sometime uh, in the next uh, 40 years uh, when I'm 110. <laughs> but, uh, you know, right You could right, do it online now, so you I don't mean, know if the kids are falling I mean, asleep. I'm kind of, you know, the book I'm writing now is really like uh, kind of a history of rock and roll. Oh. So, uh, that, that's like, not too big of a subject. <laughs> no, I'm trying to keep it, you know, <laughs> within bounds. But, uh, you know, it's a cool book. It's uh, called Lightning Striking, and it's kind of an evolutionary history of the music through its legendary um, uh, times and places where the music changes, i.e. Memphis in 54 or Liverpool in 62, New York in 75. That's great. San Francisco, 67. It's it's like the genres of like a... Yeah, yeah. I I, I was in San Francisco with Jake and one of the pictures I took was the corner of Hayden Ashbury. And there's a bunch of crusties there, not hippies, crusties right. there. A couple of two quick ones. Um, it's supposed to come out next year if I ever finish writing it. But okay. I'm f- only three quarters of the way through, but I will get it done. A bunch of years back, um, Lenny, what, what do you call when you when you're the head of a, of a bunch of people on stage and you're running the show? You you with me and and um, the, the king. <laughs> and we were on stage, and there was a panel, and you were the moderator. Moderator, yes, yes. It was at the Evo Institute of Yiddish Culture. Oh uh, yes, Jews and rock and roll. And it was about Jews and rock and roll. About two hundred fifty people paid, like twenty dollars each. And uh, it was Tommy me, Ramone, right? Tommy Early, rest his soul. His birthday was yesterday, same oh, as mine. Um, it was uh, Chris Stein, uh-huh. and there's one more person, I think. Maybe uh, maybe my canther or something. So <laughs> so it was like three or four Jews or something like that on stage. And the thing that was interesting is everybody talked about the Jewish effect of of uh, of of how it affected their music. And Chris Stein's parents were like commies or, or socialists. So he goes, it had no effect on my music at all. And I was like, I grew up a quarter of a mile from the Concord Hotel every summer. It was like, next week, Bill Cosby. Next week, David Brenner. I was like, I watched Sullivan every week. I was like, you know, how can I not have all this Jewish culture and it not be in me? So basically, I mean, it didn't come out like I wanted to be like, you know, uh, you know, uh, David Brenner. I didn't want to be David (laughs) Brenner. But the thing is, there's so much of that stuff. Basically, the, the, the gist of it was, yeah, give the people a show, mm-hmm. oh, you know. But Chris, but Chris is like totally had nothing to do with my rock and roll. Well, because you know he's Vitagoyesha. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll finish up. I didn't bring the thing. You got to help thing? me remember the questions. Oh, the right, questions. We'll really quick. Like the ten. You have no, one second. You have no one second to think about each answer. You got to answer right off. Listen, I did this to Alice Cooper. He went, oh, God. Alice, relax. It's so fun. This is fun. I'm fun. This is going to be fun. You ready? all about fun. Toilet paper, over or under? Under. Egg salad or tuna salad? Oh, it's a tough one. I like my (laughs) egg salad with anchovies, so probably egg salad. Oh, that sounds fucking great. Oh, man. I used to know at least three luncheonettes in the city, one in the Brill Building, the place down on... uh, 
uh, near Prince Street that used to have egg salad and anchovy sandwiches. Wow. Well, I mean, all I make, gone now. I make uh, deviled eggs with anchovies. Oh, you don't know. What do you know? <laughs> so, um, we're getting down okay, to the nitty pastra- gritty here. Pastrami or corned beef? Pastrami. Beetles or stones? Yardbirds. <laughs> Yardbirds or Led Zeppelin? Yardbirds. Uh, Beetles or stones? Got Yardbirds. An- you got an answer. Yeah, it's it's a know, tough one. It's Listen, you can wake up tomorrow and change your mind, but just this moment. I, I can't do, you know, my daughter is always asking me, do you have yeah, what's your favorite this? I don't have favorite. I'm like so zen about things. Personally, the Beatles and the Stones are so it's like your right and your left hand. You need the contraries in life. That's what I like. Is like when you have it's like yin and yang. You don't want yang and you don't want yin. You like them when they kind of I marked that down together. as he punked out. Okay. Wrong. Um, <laughs> Wrong. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, uh, um <laughs> Godfather one or Godfather two? Godfather one or Godfather two? Two. Okay. Hendrix, Beck, Pedro, Clapton. Beck. Wow. Do you remember any others? Uh... Yankees or Mets? Oh, Oh, please. (laughs) You mean the great team or these guys up in the Bronx? (laughs) (laughs) We we probably had two or three more, but I left the thing at home. Yeah, I don't... um... What subjects are there? There's, there's music, there's uh, food. Movies, there's, uh, books. Bordeaux or Monroe? Oh, right. I don't drink uh, wine. <laughs> I don't, really. <laughs> I, I've been in some of the greatest wines. You know, the other people in the band are so into wine. I've been into uh, wine stores in France where they have bottles from Proust's time. What's that? Proust, remember? No. Marcel Proust? No. Okay. Proust or James Joyce? Death be not, <laughs> Death be not proud. Is that is that? Uh, time, mem- remembrance of times past. I read three books in my life. Leave me alone. It, that's one less than you said last week. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about. No, actually, the guy I read two of his books was on all week long because I was watching a lot about mob history. Right. This guy T.J. English, who wrote books on a whole bunch of different like uh, mobsters, was on TV all week long. So I was real excited. That looks like we're going to bring this episode, another episode in the amazing adventures of the Handsome Dick Manitoba radio program. More, no, it's a podcast. It's not a program, it's a podcast. And it's called You Don't Know Dick. Yeah. Let me thank Betty here for helping out. Thank you. You're welcome. Bullpen Betty and my man, Ricky, man in the dials, and the one and only, the man himself, Lenny K. Lenny, it's been such a fucking honor having a guy here like you who's been around such a long time in rock and roll and had such an and and, and, and done so much in rock and roll and influenced so many people and yet you're a really nice guy still. Could you please teach me how to be one? Hey man, you just gotta like, you know, get the bong out, man, and say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know, I mean, listen, in the end, it's all about doing the work. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm happy that my work gets done, but really, I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll go down into the basement and I'll like uh, try to get my work done. That's my present life. I, 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 I love the fact that I have a long tail and we can talk at great lengths about any piece of it. And I feel proud that I've given my all to all of this stuff. 
But the fact is, is that, you know, I live in the present and tomorrow I'll be there writing about that moment when at Lesser Free Trade Hall in Manchester, when the Sex Pistols uh, came to Manchester in June 1976 and the Buzzcocks formed immediately after. That's my job for tomorrow. You know what, Lenny? <laughs> you're leaving your fingerprint on, on this planet. You know what I mean? You were here. Well, and that's you. and that says a lot. God bless a, you. A good work ethic. And thank thank like. you for coming, brother. A pleasure, brother. handsome. Thank you. And uh, until we meet again on the Lower East Side. Until we meet again. again. Thanks, Lenny, fair. baby. Love you. Take care. Well. I'm the Super King of New York City. Oh!